Morning. I'm uh, joining you today from the banks of the beautiful Mary River in Kenilworth. You could probably hear our camp kettle just um, whistling there in the background and the camera's set up on top of a mini tripod on top of our barbecue. So we're having a week's getaway, which has been really great. And to be by the Mary River has been a good place to be thinking about our theme for this year, the river. Um, but the thing that first uh, hit me this week as I began to prepare was the experience of stumbling around in the dark, actually. So uh, we always plan to get away in the mornings, but of course, uh, getting the kids organised and ourselves too, it's always after lunch by the time we actually get in the car, which meant that we were setting up here at Kenilworth into the dark, into the evening. And so after the camp was set and I was pretty sure we were waterproof and there was going to be food for the kids for the night, uh, I realised I needed to go to the toilet and um, we're basically camped in a huge farm here and I had no idea where those toilets were so I took my little lantern and stumbled off into the dark and basically just had to poke around till I could find it um, and it made me think of the times where I've actually had to do something like that without the benefit of light at all gotten slightly better at camping over the years to the extent that I do remember to bring a light most times um, but it's amazing the difference between having some light and having none, knowing where you are, being on well-lit paths and being uh, lost in the dark in an unfamiliar place. And it made me think of Psalm 119, uh, 119 which is actually the longest psalm in Scripture and the longest chapter in the Bible at a whopping 176 verses. And it's a psalm about God's Word. And there's a verse in there that you probably know verse 105, which says this, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light on my path. It made me think about the fact that I can take the well-lit paths around my home um, for granted, the ease of living there uh, when, I, when I know where things are and I, and, I, and I can see where things are versus being out here in the bush and um, finding myself in an unfamiliar place in the dark. It's a stark difference. I think about another passage from Psalm 119 where it talks about God's word and God's law being sweeter than honey. And it has made me think, you know, do I cherish um, scripture, the Bible, God's word to me to the extent that I should? Do I take for granted that it lights the paths of my life. I think in a country like Australia that's got a Christian heritage, a lot of stuff works because our legal framework and uh, civil society is kind of founded in Scripture. And so there's like an ambient light of the Word of God which lights up our lives and the lives of many people. I don't know if you've had that experience of travelling overseas, maybe somewhere where uh, the culture is a little different and maybe there's you know, um, corruption or, you know, just really in-your-face poverty. Um, and there isn't that ambient presence of the Word of God going through their culture. And you can get back to Australia, you can get off the plane and you just want to kiss the tarmac uh, because there's that sense of the sweetness of being in a place where things are alight, where they work and where there's something good, something sweet like God's Word. So I want to just talk to you about three points to help us value God's Word in this season. 
there's an opportunity in this COVID season to really make the most of of perspective, different perspective, and to maybe spend some more time uh, with God's word. I'm going to talk about making God's word our own, getting everything we can out of it, and letting it become a part of who we are. When I think about making God's word my own, I'm immediately grateful to the reformers of the 14th, 15th, 16th century, many of whom who paid with their own lives to give us the Bible in our own language, in a language that we can read. People who said it's not right that only priests who are trained in Latin or Hebrew or Greek can read the Bible. Everyone needs access to it. People like John Wycliffe, Jan Hus, who, who made it a mission to, to bring God's word into the language of their own people. <laughs> it's possible that we take that for granted, right? If you've got a Bible in your house, do you think about the privilege of that? Do you ever think about the fact that someone else might have died so that you can have that privilege? The flip side of that tremendous privilege, I mean, I think it's natural that we often take it for granted because the Bible's everywhere, right? The flip side, though, is that we have a level of responsibility to and of priesthood, whereas once maybe only the priests had access to God's word. Now we all have access. And the thing about being a priest in the priesthood of all believers is we're not a priest for ourselves. We're always a priest on behalf of others. So if a priest, someone who has God's word, acts on behalf of others, who are you acting on behalf of? Um, who are you training yourself in scripture so that you can train them? It's often said that the best way to come to know something is to teach it, right? Because you realize that you need to have a firmer grasp. So maybe it's your kids, right? If you're a stay-at-home parent, you're a priest to them. It's your responsibility to really own scripture so that you can share it with them. Which leads me to the second group of people that I'm really grateful for when I think about God's word in my life. And that's um, the many people represented by what's sometimes called the great tradition. So that was the church before the Reformation, basically the Orthodox and Catholic church. Spanned from the end of the lives of Jesus' friends who knew him face to face, the apostles, all the way up through the Middle Ages. And this was a time when great institutions were formed where generations of people dedicated their lives to understanding scripture. One of the reasons why it's called the great tradition is because it was actually this tradition that helped us to decide which books went in the Bible and which didn't. Um, and so in a sense, you know, we can get a bit freaked out thinking about tradition as an authority. Um, but tradition and scripture have worked together and it's been people who have had the expertise in Hebrew, in Greek, in the cultural context of scripture across those millennia that have really um, been able to make those difficult decisions about say what books went into the Bible and what books didn't because there's a lot of other books floating around that have been considered over the years. There was this great tradition of experts and, and um, organisations that held them up 
that brings a kind of wholeness uh, and unity and completion to the project of scripture. Um, and this is a little hard for me to grapple with at times because I'm kind of anti-institutional and there's a very institutional uh, element to the great tradition. Um, Graham can tell you he used to be my teacher. He knows what a rat bag I was. Um, but there is a political dimension to the way that the Word of God came to us. There is an institutional dimension to how the Word of God's been studied and how it's worked out, you know, what it means for us. It makes me think the takeaway um, for us this morning is that the, the, while each of us has the gift of Scripture, we, we are a part of a priesthood of all believers, there's also this point in tension that there, there's experts out there. There's people who know more than us. And so if we're going to get everything out of Scripture, as well as to make it our own, we need to be looking around and thinking and asking the question, well, who knows this better than me? Who can I learn from here? Um, and sometimes that'll come through the people that we know, right? I think it's, it's great to have conversations with others. What are you reading? Have you ever come across a commentary? I'm trying to make... James, the book of James, my own. Who's helped you to understand that? What kind of expert? Of course, there's people in our church, like the elders who have, um, you know, decades of experience and understanding too that we can speak to. When I'm looking at um, experts sort of outside of the pool of who we might know, so if you think about, you know, going to the bookshop Kurong or going online to try and find something, a really good uh, measure that I've found over the years is not just that these people that I'm looking at are experts in understanding a part of scripture, but they're experts in Jesus, people who really know Jesus. Because there's a lot of talking heads out there who have a lot of expertise in a particular thing, but it seems like they're just involved in arguments um, that can seem uh, overly legalistic or... Um, you know, all sorts of um, indicators to me that oh, maybe that's not really where I want to be getting uh, my information from. I like to look at the person's life if I can and go, does this add up to a picture of someone who knows and loves Jesus as well as has expertise in scripture? The final group of people. So I've said, I'm thankful to the reformers. I'm thankful to the great tradition. The final group of people um, that I'm thankful for when I think about scripture is the Jewish tradition. So God's original people um, for, for whom over half of our Bible, you know, came down to and, and spoke to originally. There was a bit of an aha moment in biblical scholarship in the last 20 years when scholars... <coughs> realized maybe again or more clearly that um, the Jewish tradition didn't necessarily engage with the Bible in the same way that we do now. Um, Jewish people didn't have um, for most of their history, most of the biblical history, didn't have the privilege of just having a Bible sitting on their shelf at home. In fact, if you think about it, most of the Jews um, sort of in the time of scripture would have been farmers, people who lived out in the fields, um, not people who had the wealth um, to give them access to 
um, the scriptures. So sure, there was like a priestly class that might have been able to do that, but most people were out in the field. Um, and that's why they were so um, particular about the memorization of scripture. It wasn't just to show off how well they knew the Bible. It's because they recognized that most of their lives would be spent in a field. And so the only time that they might get to talk about scripture would be walking together from one paddock to the next or sitting around a campfire at night and musing on God's word. And when you read the Hebrew scripture in Hebrew, one of the things that sticks out to you is that um, there is uh, all these memorization aids built into the form of the text. So the young men, particularly, who were memorizing it, um, were given help in the way that it was put down. So they could pop up um, after dinner at the end of um, you know, a session around the campfire, and they could maybe even perform a section of scripture for people. And um, that means that the Bible kind of lived differently for them. And Bible scholars have begun to think about the fact that scripture might have been intended to be performed a bit more than rather than just read quietly <laughs> under a lamp. Um, and I think this speaks to me about the fact that we need to find ways of like working scripture into our lives. We need to make it a part of our habits. We need to get creative with it, to discuss it with friends and family as we do drive if we're not walking. Um, there's so many great resources. I'm so grateful for Sherilyn in our lives because she's always seeking out good music that the kids can listen to and good children's books that are based in scripture. I think in some ways this can help take the pressure off that priesthood thing a little bit because we're not in it alone. While we're to make God's word our own, we're not in it alone. And um, I think God's word is living, so it doesn't just have to be read off a page. In fact, I think it's not intended only to be read off a page. It's meant to be lived. And so I think um, the picture that's come to me as I've thought about this Jewish tradition is the way that it, it becomes part of the fabric of life. So my points this morning, the great tradition, I think, helps us to realise that we need to make God's word our own. Um, the reformers, sorry. The great tradition helps us to know that we need to get everything that we can out of Scripture. And finally, the Jewish tradition um, helps us to see that Scripture needs to become a part of who we are. There's a word in the Hebrew Scripture, Hagar, which means to moan, growl, meditate, speak, muse, utter, or chew the cud. And um, in Isaiah 31, this word is used of a lion growling over its prey. Hagar, a lion hagars over its prey. And yet, in other passages, like in the first chapter of Joshua, it talks about um, God's law being given for the people to hagar over, to growl over. We'll know to meditate over, but it's a picture of, I don't know if you've ever seen an animal with a bone, but they work that thing, right? An animal grabs a bone and it wants you to be in no doubt about whose that bone is. It makes that bone its own. An animal um, gets everything it can 
out of that bone. It sucks the marrow out, it licks and gnaws. Sometimes it'll even bury that bone and come back to it over and over again. And finally, um, any goodness that's in that bone definitely becomes a part of that animal's life. Um, it's food, it's nourishment, right, and nutrients for the animal. And I think that's such a powerful picture of what God's word should be to us. We need to growl over and meditate over God's word. We need to make it our own. God's word to us. We need to get everything we can out of it, even asking others to help us, looking to experts to help us see if there's anything we've missed, coming back to it time and time again. And finally, I believe these things will mean that uh, the word becomes a part of who we are so that we can be out in the field, we can be around a campfire, we can be in the office, we can be in the kitchen. And God's word can be something that we're living, thinking, singing, talking about. Hey, that's my thoughts for this morning. I hope it's, um, there's something in there for you. Have a great week. See ya.